outside, but in the house of the Lord, it's sunny.
Well, you may be seated for a moment. I met a couple of you that this is your first time. Probably there's others, but if you would please fill out the card, the registration portion, and rip that off and drop it in the offering plate again. We really do appreciate that. That's really the biggest announcement that we make on Sunday morning because we love having guests with us. So if you would do that, we'd appreciate it. If I got my glasses on, it'd be better to read this. <laughs> membership 101, as soon as we're through in here today, uh, you've signed up for our membership class. We'll go right to the building behind us. We'll have a meal and then a, a, a lesson about, uh, on membership 101. And I um, hope that you can make it. There's probably... Um, two or three extra meals that we could scrounge up. If somebody wanted to just show up on the spur of the moment today, we, we would love to be able to have you. This is our um, senior week. So Joy, the senior ministry, they'll be meeting this week. You can read about that. And then again, the family update options, the uh, code there that you can scan or talk to people out there or go on the website. And that's only if we don't have updated information, we would appreciate tremendously that. Now, you may not notice it uh, unless you really look at it, but we had a group in our church that volunteered and painted the whole ministry complex outside. So you might want to look at that it's really sharp. I had them stand because they were almost all in the first service. Anybody in this service that you were part of that painting? Stand up, please. I know Tracy did. All right. Anybody else? Had a good crew, and they got a little bit of trim left. That'll really make it pop. Anyway, glad to have it. All right. Let's stand and welcome somebody around you to church. Okay, new song for us. Mr. Chad's going to lead you out on this. Since I saw is the door. Sometimes heartache is the gift I need. You are faithful, faithful in all things. In every high, in every low, on mountaintops, down
makes me lie down in green pastures. The Lord is my shepherd, leads me to still waters, and He restores my soul. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Oh, Lord is my shepherd.
God, we are so thankful that you see us as your children. And our righteousness, as much as it's like filthy rags, you still, you still absolutely love us with all that we are. Your love amazes us, God. It goes deep, it goes wide, it goes far. We can't outrun it. Your hand reaches all over. So this morning, God, we wanna just say thank you for loving us, who we are. This morning, as we collect our tithes and offerings, we pray that you would use it so others will know how great your love and how far it goes, that we may be your hands and feet. So we give this today, Jesus, so, so others may know your name. We pray, pray you bless it, we use it, amen. first service, I thought, is that the way it's supposed to end? <laughs> yeah, I guess it is. Did it again. Well, last Sunday, we started a new series on the book of 1 Corinthians. So if you want to check in on that with your Bible or your device, uh, feel welcome to do that. Uh, a great study. And just for those of you that may not have been here, let me quickly tell you what we did in a couple of minutes. We said that Paul is discussing five main areas that were a problem in that church and that needed correcting. We're going to cover all those five in the few months to come. Uh, we'll take a break or two in between and do some other things, but we're going to be on this book of 1 Corinthians. And then the first thing, the first problem was division. The people were dividing over secondary issues things that should not have been causing them to fight and have arguments in their church. And it was over mainly personalities, like who was following Paul, who was following Apollos, who was following Peter, and so forth. And the last thing we said about all that is that it's okay to have a particular preference for a particular church, worship style, preaching style, children, youth. That is great. But we said the problem is, is when those preferences cause divisions, and then it becomes a problem. 
So we kind of left off there and said that today we would look at the four main things that Paul said can correct having a spirit of division in your life and in the church. So the title of the message is, what kind of church do you want? So this is part two of that, that sermon. Let's begin right away with chapter one, that we're still chapter one, and verse number 10. Paul says, be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. So be united how? By magically agreeing on everything? No. Paul doesn't tell us that. Paul does not even say, okay, all you guys, I'll come to the church and I'll straighten it all out. He doesn't even do that. He says, be of the same understanding and the same conviction. Here's what he means. Be of the same understanding and the same conviction about the gospel. Not about all the things that, that divide you, but that we need to be under the same conviction about the primacy of the gospel, how important it is over all these secondary things that people try to bring up. I hope, I hope by the time I get through this message, I will share some things that will make a lot of sense, and you'll see what I've been trying to do last Sunday and today. Now, a lot of people that call for church unity um, don't really seem to know exactly what it is. Now, having been in Gulf to Lake Church, or maybe you've been in a church like this, and so you know that they are that, that we are a Bible-believing church, you know that we take a stand uh, and have a conviction of what we want to say to you. Um, and so having said that, there's some things here, and they're listed in your notes. You know you got a lot of fill-in-the-blanks. You see them? Got quite a few, so get ready for that. But here's what Paul says about unity. Number one, it is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. What does that mean? Where everybody in the church agrees on everything. That is not a biblical vision of a church. Are you listening? Sometimes when I, when I say that, it's because the Lord's impressed upon me the next thing I'm about to say is being vitally important to me and hopefully to you. A New Testament church is a church where Jesus is so large that it makes disagreement about other things less important. Did you get that? To me, that is important. Jesus is so large. Can we talk? Remember that lady that used to do that? I forget, who was that? She, she had a TV show, Can We Talk? I forget who that was. Anyway, let me, let's, let's talk Frank for a, a minute or two. Whenever 2020 came and all this COVID stuff started and all the fighting and arguing and disagreeing about wearing masks and, you know, getting vaccined and opening churches and closing churches and all, all of that stuff, thank God. And I think it's because we had a lot of unity on major issues. I could count on one hand the number of people, well, that I know. There might have been others that I didn't know that, that, that left. But I could count on one hand the people that left um, because 
of, of all those issues. Well, I don't like the fact that you didn't talk much about masks. And I don't like the fact that you didn't require it. Don't like the fact, in fact, one of them said um, you preached a message, and some of you may remember, uh, in 2020 or 2021, called Will the Real America Please Stand Up? And um, really took issue with that. Um, and one of those families, I didn't say it, but here's what I thought. Man, I, I'm, I'm, you've been here for over 10 years. I married one of your kids. I buried one of your family members. And now you're going to leave over mask, over whether we wore mask or not? It just didn't make sense to me. Um, we Christians say that we're against this cancel culture that is out in the world today. But it's so amazing to me how many people could cancel their church over disagreement over, to me, some small thing. See, Paul said that unity is not uniformity. But for Paul, number two, unity was also not relativism. I preached a message on that a long time ago when we talked about a bunch of isms. What is that? Well, that is some of the, like, unity, universalism, things like that where whatever person wants to believe or say is right. Well, that's ridiculous. Everything can't be right. Uh, well, you know, there's a lot of approaches, to, different approaches, and, but that's not the issue. Do we, Gulf to Lake, do we have the same conviction about the importance of the gospel? And you remember that when I said the gospel, I'm not just talking about the death, burial, and resurrection. I'm talking about that plus all that that embodies, all of, the, all of the word of God to me is the good news. And that's what I'm talking about here. Uh, another one, Paul is saying that unity is not abandoning your faith. See, there are some people that are, well, liberal, very liberal Christians that think that the only way that you can be unified is by refusing to take clear stands on anything. But folks, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, as we're going to see, Paul will identify certain beliefs and he will say, now church, we've got to agree on these things. And if we don't agree on these things, then we've lost our identity as God's people. There are certain things in my life like the Bible, the, the, the person and the work of Jesus Christ, the nature of being saved by grace through faith, the inerrancy of the Bible, God's design for gender and sexuality. Those are all things that we have to have convictions about. Amen? So it's ridiculous to say whatever you want to believe. Another one, unity is not just being sentimental. It's not just being sentimental, where you just kind of have, um, you kind of floss over, gloss over divisions. Don't talk about it. Hey, just everybody smile for the camera. That seems to be what a lot of churches want. But folks, unity to me is uniting in our belief and our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Which means, if you'll write it down, having the same conviction about the gospel. 
the same importance. And listen, while you're writing that down, attempting to think about everything else in line with that. A conviction of the gospel. And everything else has to fall in line with that. Now, that leads us to Paul's second thing to correct being divisive. Number two, he said, you've got to really embrace grace. You've really got to embrace grace. Now that, listen, this is a main point. So let me read several verses. Um, they'll be on the screen. Didn't have room, I don't think, in your notes to put them in. Verse 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in Paul's name? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one can say you were baptized in my name. I did, in fact, baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't recall if I baptized anyone else. Now, digressing here for just a moment because I love that verse. We know that in most every letter, Paul dictated what the Holy Spirit said to him to a scribe. And they would write it down exactly as it was said. And then Paul would sign his name to it. So here, Paul's saying, look, hey, I didn't baptize any of you except for these two guys, Crispus and Gaius, and maybe one other. And then all, all of a sudden, it's like he remembered Stephanus. But you get the point that that was not the major part of what he thought he should do. Okay? As they were making a big deal out of it. So he says in verse 17, for Christ didn't send me to baptize. Now he did, and baptism is important. We do it and we believe in it. But he says, he didn't send me to baptize, but to do what? Preach the gospel and not with eloquent wisdom so that the cross of Christ will be emptied of its effect. You know, thinking like I told you last week, I was thinking, well, Paul, you could work at a little being a little more eloquent. Then people wouldn't go to sleep and fall out of windows and die like we talked about last week. But anyway, you know what Paul's saying? He's saying the power is in the gospel, not in me, in the gospel. Verse 20, where is the one who's wise? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the debater of the age? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, then God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser, wiser than human wisdom. And God's weakness is stronger than human strength. What he does in those verses that we read is he kind of summarizes a bunch of things to these people saying, look, this, you can't get saved this way. This is not what does it. So number one, if you'll write it down, he said, look, Jesus didn't save the world through a bunch of philosophical wisdom. Salvation wasn't figured out by a bunch of philosophers, a bunch of eggheads who were over in Athens pondering the lint in their belly button, you know, um, 
But he said salvation appeared to a bunch of poorly educated people in a very poor town, not through wisdom. Number two, he said Jesus didn't save the world through earthly success. See, what he means there is that's what the Jews wanted. He said they wanted a sign of success that would validate that he was really the Messiah. The Jews of that day wanted him to come in a great way, make this big sign of power, defeat Rome, put them back in power, and so they could get out from under the rule of Rome. That's what they wanted. But folks, when you think about it, at the end of his uh, time here on earth, as I think I remember reading in the book of Acts, that there was only like about 120 people that were really closely following him. Now, I do believe he had believers all over the promised land because in many places where he would go and speak, it would say, and many believed on him there. Well, but these are the people that actually followed him. So everybody scattered so that it wasn't earthly success. Again, another one. He said, Jesus isn't going to save the world through just obeying the law, which is what a lot of them actually believed. Obedience to the law. By the way, who are the ones who obeyed the law the best? The Pharisees. They obeyed the law the best, but they missed Jesus. They were, in fact, his, his biggest opponent. Folks, it was the blue-collar workers. It was fishermen. It was carpenters. It was moral misfits. It was tax collectors. It was prostitutes that came to him first for repentance and salvation. And then he said, hey, Jesus didn't save the world through biblical wisdom. That's your next one, through biblical wisdom. Now, listen closely as you write that down. I don't want you to misunderstand this. Teaching is important. It's what I do every week, and I love doing it. And that's how we learn a lot of things that we didn't know before. But are you listening to this? It wasn't Jesus' wisdom that saved us. It was what he did that saved us. It was going to the cross for us. Now, think about that. Jesus' most famous teaching was probably the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But I wrote some things down that maybe you didn't know. Two of the Gospels don't even record it. You know, there's four Gospels, right? Two of them don't even record the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know of a single parable that's in all four Gospels. Only two of the Gospels tell us about Jesus' birth. Only two tell about his temptation. John's Gospel doesn't even mention the Last Supper. Matthew or John never mentions his ascension back to heaven. However, all four Gospels record his betrayal, his suffering, his trial, Peter's denial, people choosing Barabbas, the cross, crucifixion, and the resurrection. So what does that say to us? I think it is this. It is faith in his work, not knowledge of his work. And so a lot of people, listen, I hope that you're not one of those that's going to miss heaven by 18 inches because you got it up here but not here. 
And that's what he's saying here. Look, it's not knowledge about Jesus. You've got to know who he really is. Now, that doesn't mean that other things are not important. It's just that the primary thing is the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does he do? How does he save us? It was in the scripture, and I want you to write it down. Through the foolishness of preaching. The foolishness of preaching. Now, that doesn't mean mean I'm up here with a beanie on my head with a little propeller going around. You know, being a fool. That's not what it's talking about. He says in verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified. And Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. See, we're not, listen, you're not saved by obtaining enough wisdom about the Bible uh, or to know about even righteousness. Here's the, here's, the, here's the key. Christ is all of those things. And when I receive him, I get them. Perfection, forgiveness, righteousness, a home in heaven. When I receive him, I get all that. It's not something that's separate that they were trying to make it. And you say, well, pastor, all that you've said is good, but what in the world does that have to do with unity? The message title, it's simply this. When you embrace the message of grace, I mean really grace, the spirit of divisiveness will leave you. You You won't have it. See, we're not saved by those things. And folks, as I thought about it this week, when I was writing that down, I thought, you know, at the end of the day, all the Bible wisdom, all the Bible knowledge that I think I've accumulated over all these years, all the, what people might look at and say success in the ministry at Gulf to Lake Church, they are filthy rags. Filthy rags. Or to put it in Paul's words, they are scubala, dung. Do you know what that is? That's what Paul said. All my righteousness is like dung. See, I'm saved by Christ and his righteousness alone. Self-righteousness is sending more people to hell than any other sin. People that think they're good enough, they'll figure it out. They, they can do it on their own. They'll be good enough. They'll go to church. They'll join. They'll take communion. They'll get confirmed. They'll do whatever, baptize. Self-righteousness will not work. The true gospel cuts through all that to, to the very being of who we are, which leads me to number three. We embrace grace, but we also enlarge or make a big deal out of Christ. Paul says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? What's he asking? Who's your salvation? Christ? Well, if it's all about him, then what significance do all these other things have when it comes to eternity? Which he says, I'm trying to get you to understand and not make a big deal out of those things. They're secondary things. Listen, I kept thinking this week, what kind of an illustration 
can I use at this point? I, there's something that I used to do that I, and I remember how I used to think about it. I'm going to tell, tell you that. But I thought, how can I put this in an illustration? And, and here it is. I don't do it anymore because I don't, I'm too old to put up with the fighting of crowds and people around me and people, you know, and me sweating like crazy and people dropping beer on your back and all that stuff. But I used to love to go to the Gator football games. Used to love to go to them. And as a pastor, I would sit there. And now and then I would think to myself, here's back then probably 70, probably 80 or 90 now, here's 70,000 people all here together. And we're, I'll bet you that we could start fights over a dozen different issues. We could bring up a bunch of issues of life and we would cause all kinds of fights. But for three hours, we are all united in that stadium around one thing. And man, when, when the Gators do something good, I was high-fiving, low-fiving, hugging people that I'll never see again in the rest of my life. Why? Because we had a commonality. And I, I would think to myself, that's what church is supposed to be. That we come there on Sunday and we've got the commonality of Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, we could cause a fight over a bunch of different things. But those are all minor and they're secondary when it comes to who Jesus Christ is. Folks, when we come to church... I want our commonality in him to outweigh anything that's secondary to church life. I think one of the most disappointing things to me over the last four years since that COVID stuff was how it became clear that in a lot of churches, and again, thank God we didn't really deal with much of that, but how politics and cultural preferences became so big and their Jesus was so small. Kind of shown by how quickly they would just drop out and drop away. And then number four, we got to learn to wean ourselves off of celebrities. <laughs> wean ourselves off of celebrities. I'm talking church I'm talking religious celebrities. Paul keeps saying throughout, as you know, we read it last week and this week, kind of like, what significance do these earthly leaders have in your spiritual identity? They may be there to help you, but they, they're not you. Now, folks, listen. Are you listening? Celebrities have always been a part of the Christian church. I mean, you think about it with Paul and James and Peter and John. When they had an issue, they would say, let's go to the apostles and ask them. And they would get some kind of a ruling on it. And down through the history of the church age, there were always leaders that we looked to and that we read about and that we used, you know, what they said and took it to heart for, for our own life. So they've always been a part. But folks, in this social media age, celebrities have taken on a whole new level. And so I'll see things on Facebook 
of people that I know that used to come to church and they don't anymore, but now they identify with somebody or some church in another town or another state. And it's almost like they're saying, well, I've got an identity now because I'm associated with them. And I'm, now that's me. That's who I am. And here's the thing. It, it may give you a, a sense of identity, but Paul says this. You don't need to be set apart by anybody but Jesus and for him. Now, yes, earthly leaders, and I hope maybe I'm one of them, we can be helpful to people on earth. I mean, you've gone through a lot, and it's okay. I told you last week, it's okay to gravitate toward people like that, but don't depend on them for your spiritual life. You know, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And we can all say that. You can say it for you, the Lord is your shepherd. That's why you don't have any want. I said something in the first service that I have never said in 40, almost three years now. That I said to them and now I'm going to say to you. And it's simply this. If I were to die tomorrow, I hope and pray that you would stay in Gulf the Lake Church. And I mean that. I get it. Maybe you came to church. I understand. Maybe you came to church because you do like this style of preaching. That's fine. Or you like the, you engage well in the worship. Or you love the kids, your kids love the kids ministry. Or the teens love our teen ministry. That's fine. If you're here because of that, I don't see a thing in the world wrong with that. But over time, I hope while you stay here, you would develop a family bond of being with the other people in the church that can weather disagreements about minor things. You know, I wanted to share this with you as I close. Gulf the Lake, let's resolve ourselves to make the gospel the one thing that we unite around. And that it is so large in our hearts that everything else is secondary. Amen? And minor. I've got, I've got preferences. I've got perspectives about things that are important to me, but none of them has ever been important enough to change me wanting to see people saved and their soul given to the Lord. And again, just so you understand, as I close this particular sermon, I want to be clear. I'm not talking about ever backing down from the truth. We have to be, and I am unapologetic in my stand about the sanctity of life, the sanctity of marriage, God's design for gender and sexuality and other unpopular things. And if that makes some people mad and causes them to leave our church, so be it. I'm okay with that. But I want us to be a church 
where Christ is so large that that cuts through all the noise out there and helps us to know who we are and what we're supposed to be doing as a church. Amen. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, God, we thank you for this day. And we thank you for the privilege of teaching your word. What an awesome responsibility. And Lord, I hope and pray that I didn't say anything that wasn't pleasing to you. And I hope I did say all the things that you wanted me to say. As we continue this study, you're going to open our eyes to a lot of things. And we praise you for that. Now, we've not sung this little course in probably 15 or more years. What I'm going to ask you to do right now as we end this, this sermon, this subject, if you could, if you, if you can, to touch somebody next to you, just left arm, right arm, and just, just you don't have to hold their hand if you don't want to, but just touch them. And let's sing this together. Make us one, Lord. Make us one. Holy Spirit, make us one. Let your love flow so the Some of you know it, so let's do it one more time. Make us one, Lord. Make us one. Holy Spirit, make us one. Let your love flow so the world will know we are God bless you. Thank y'all. Have a great afternoon.